0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Change Before Change podcast. A podcast produced by ASARA, a digital forward market access agency that designs innovative solutions that enable transformative market access. The Change Before Change podcast will look to highlight and address new technologies and innovations that will impact our healthcare ecosystem. We will be assessing health economic patterns, discussing market access trends, and providing a global perspective on healthcare issues and news. I'm your host, Fadi Manuel, and I will be interviewing thought leaders and experts in the pharmaceutical and healthcare industry to uncover and understand the ever-evolving global health landscape. Today, we will be discussing integrated evidence generation planning with our guest, Gavin Otteridge. Gavin boasts a 19-year experience in the pharmaceutical industry with leadership roles at Pfizer, Kynaps, and now ACR Europe. Gavin has served clients in many functional areas, including clinical development, regulatory and medical affairs, pharmacovigilance, and value and access. Welcome, Gavin. So, if we could start first by simply defining what an integrated evidence generation plan entails.
1: Hi, Friday. Thanks for having me on. So I think the analogy I would use is is that of the uh, is that of a symphony orchestra, right? You know, you have the the strings. The woodwind, the brass, the percussion, um, and you need all of those for the depth, the complexity, you know, the richness of sound, you know, to 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 realise, I guess, you know, in 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 that setting the the, the composer's vision. And, and I think it's a fairly straightforward analogy to then you know reflect the sections of the orchestra to the uh, functions or or, or or disciplines of a uh, pharmaceutical or biotech company. Um, you know, as I was talking about, you know, I've I've worked over the years, you know, not just at, you know, Pfizer as an employee, um, and with other, you know, top five, top 10 pharma companies as a, as a consultant with also sort of, you know, the mid, mid mid-sized, you know, still global specialty farmers and biotechs, you know, right down to clinical stage biotechs, you know, developing their, their first product in its, in its first indication. And, and I think whether you have all those functions in-house, as as the as the biggest companies do, um, or whether you have to, you know, hire some of that expertise in, you know, European regulatory expert or, you know, an, an HTA strategist when, you know, you you can't quite employ one yet as a you know, funding round to funding round small, uh, you know, innovative biotech. Nevertheless, you know, you you want to get all of those all of those insights in. Um, you know, in the in in the largest orchestras, in the you know, distinctive uh, distinctive pieces, you know, maybe you're laying on a you know, harp, uh, an organist, uh, a choir. Um, you know, you can take the analogy as far as you want, but, um, but I think it's reasonably, reasonably straightforward to, to draw the connection. You know, take away any one of those sections, you know, particularly the core sections, and, and, you know, it, it just, it just won't sound the same. It won't, it won't reach as far as you want it to. It won't have anywhere near the same effect. And I think when you're, when you're planning your your, your evidence generation, right? Like all of those all of those key disciplines have a different perspective, a different um special set of skills. Um, each of them is thinking either about a slightly different stakeholder, decision maker, customer group, um, or thinking about it in a different a different way. You know, and of course, you know, it's 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 regulators, um, it's uh, it's healthcare practitioners, uh, and, and obviously patients from the h t m market access perspective the HTA agencies the payers you know the the pricing and reimbursement authorities um or or decision makers you know in, a, in, a, in public versus private settings um quite often and increasingly we're seeing this where you know different modalities are coming through such as you know the um the one time administration curative or cell therapy you know your your traditional payer decision-maker, for example, um, you know, is used to deciding on whether, you know, we can spend, I don't know, a few thousand pounds a month or a few thousand dollars a year even, um, you know, per per patient. And then suddenly when it's getting up to, you know, seven figures, I think we we have products now on the market just over the two million dollars of flow, price tag actually there's a whole different level of decision-maker that has to be thought about, that has to be accessed, that has to, you know, get buy into that and I think in um, taxpayer-funded healthcare systems, uh, as, as, as we have in much of Europe, you know, you're getting, you're comfortably getting right up to the the health secretary on those kinds of decisions. The health minister, maybe even the finance minister, maybe you know, the the the, the highest official in the land is is getting involved in some of those decisions because it's fundamentally changing changing the way um, that you 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 pay for healthcare delivery. So you know, taking a a stakeholder or decision maker or customer led approach, um, recognizing that, you know, medical thinking about patients and, and, and practitioners, you know, in a, in a, in a very, um, sort, of a sort of, sort of, sort of health oriented way, Um, you know, perhaps commercial is, is, is thinking more, um you know, about those, uh, perhaps similar, similar groups with a slightly different lens and perhaps more, you know, on, on the financing side of it you know, value and access, payers and HTA bodies, and obviously regulatory strategy um coming in with what, what the regulators are going to need to see. The downside of sort of leaving those those silos or, or sort of leaving those functions in silos to do their to do their own thing, um I mean there are several several downsides to that, I would say. Um and I think yeah, you know, one of them is the risk of, you know, conflicting, conflicting evidence and conflicting messages, um, making it, it, you know, it difficult for for any one decision maker to, um, you know, see what the see what the story really is and 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 pick out that that thread, particularly where you have you know, commercial thinking about uh, what are we saying to patients and physicians, and the medical, similarly thinking about what what are we saying to patients and physicians, you know, and then you have, you know, market access saying, well, okay, well, we we, we need to know what physicians are thinking because they're going to reform the HTA process. You know, it, rapidly you can see that, albeit from a different lens and you know, a different different skill set, you know, if you have three parts of your organisation engaging. In an unaligned, uncontrolled way with one external customer group, you know confusion can very can very easily rain so so some alignment on that
0: is uh, is pretty important. Thank you so much for that thoughtful answer, Gavin. Could you please expand on additional shortcomings with the current evidence generation approach?
1: I think the um second big big issue with not integrating your evidence generation planning? That is sort of a has been a feature of the heavily functionally oriented organization in the past is where you're saying, okay well you know this group of people over here it's you know maybe it's clinical and regulatory you know it's it's your job to get regulatory approval so you design the evidence and and take it up to to that point and then and then you folks over here maybe you know commercial HR and market access it's your job um uh to you know to get uh you know reimbursement and, and uptake um, so once we've got regulatory approval, we'll take the decision that your your studies can can begin, and you can go, you know, design that. You know, the, the the big issue with that is is that is the lag time, you know. And I think most high performing companies or and an experienced practitioners, you know, who has been around the industry a while, and you know, some of our clients are are very experienced people who've been at big global pharma companies and are now running clinical stage biotechs. Biotechs, you know, they they understand um you, you can't you just can't have that have that lag time um you want fast uptake um you want speed to patients or speed to market again depending on your on your lens um being being patient centered or financially centered usually it's both together right um yeah, so that 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 speed to uptake you know you can't be waiting until after the regulatory approval to start thinking about you know evidence for access evidence evidence for value as well as needing to be, you know, aligned on where the evidence is trending and what you're able to say about the evidence to sometimes to the same group of, of, of customers and decision makers, you know, getting that um getting that timed right, you know, getting that all of that evidence, you know, ready before regulatory approval so you can then move very swiftly um through, you know, HTA price reimbursement and access processes in whichever market you're going for um again that's that, that that's best practice. This is a great innovation, patients need it now. There's a significant unmet need. Yeah, let's move as fast as we can. And the integrated evidence generation approach uh helps with helps with that too. And then I guess the final issue of, of, of unintegrated evidence generation is is you know duplication and waste. You know, you, you might have, you know, if if you operate in these in these functional islands within your company, then you know quite quite possibly, you know, you might have Clinical development group over here, you know, defining defining a study. You might have a medical affairs group over here, maybe even you know, an HR group over here, designing three separate studies which have a massive amount of, of, of overlap, um, which are going to be, you know, costly to the overall organization to run, might even be competing in the same market for the same patients, um, you know, and you know, that, that, that level of sort of, you know, duplicative, nugatory activity, <coughs> weight, uh, un- un- uncontrolled spending, you know, the integrated evidence generation approach, you know, brings brings all those people together, makes them recognize, you know, hey, there's three functions here trying to do effectively the same study. Well, obviously, guys, that's one study now, um, and we can run that in a coordinated uh, and, and, and much more efficient way. And, you know, maybe becoming, millions of millions of dollars out of the uh, you know the R and D process. I'm
0: very glad you mentioned patients and, you know, expediting access to to medications. Can you expand on how an integrated evidence generation approach improves patient outcomes?
1: Yeah, great question. Um you know obviously that's I think why why pretty much all of us are in this business is to have a positive impact on people's lives patients lives patient outcomes you know the 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 quality of life not just for the patient but the patient circle and every everybody around them. um i think some of the things i've already talked about um mean that you're know, through through an integrated evidence generation approach trends towards delivering better patient outcomes because um you know point 1 all those, all those functions and disciplines bring their own their own customer insights to bear. So it's much more likely that things like, you know, endpoint selection, study design, um, uh, you know, geographic reach of the study study program, for example, the clinical development program, you know, those are therefore much more likely to be addressing, you know, what's what's really important to patients. You know, the the key on needs, needs. Um, that 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 still exists with the with the standard of care, or you know the sub the subpopulations that don't have anywhere near the same you know benefit from the the standard of care as, as 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 perhaps you know those those who are benefiting, um, and 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 the ability to, as I said before, you know be aligned around you know how you how you shape and communicate that integrated evidence, you know, at the back end, um, you know, t- telling a much Clearer story that's consistent, you know enabling decision makers um to make better faster decisions and 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 getting the patients seen it I mean, understanding much more clearly which patients it works in, how it helps them, why it's worth you know spending spending the money on you know on on adding this treatment into the formulary um all of that you know absolutely combined to uh to improve improve patient outcomes. Um, and you know, speed speeds of speed to patients as well, obviously, obviously a benefit, particularly where there's, you know, perhaps there's nothing. You know, we we do a lot of work in the rare disease area. Um, a lot of those you who know, have no standard of care, um, and patients need something, you know, now, yesterday, not uh, not in six to twelve months, eighteen months time. You know, when we're two, three years, when we're when we're living through, you know, post-licenser studies play through to give us enough evidence to you know, get reimbursed, you know, have that have that reimbursement ready evidence ready, um, so you can you can pop it in as soon as you're allowed to based on the regulatory process. And obviously in the UK you're allowed to start the uh, you know the HTA reimbursement process in advance of regulatory uh approval so there's the minimum the minimum lag time. And we have you know we have looked at, at, across markets or you know colleagues and I did in the past, um, you know, the biggest the biggest factor in lag time between Projectory approval and reimbursement decision making, which is the company being ready to, you know, submit to the, the HTA and reimbursement authorities. Um so you know, there's a there's a clear um sort of you know, ownership on the part of the, the, the sponsor and manufacturer of the company, again big pharma to small clinical stage biotech. You know, if you get integrated evidence generation planning right, you're ready to submit for, for HTA and reimbursement. You know, much much earlier, and you can get the patients much much quicker. That clearly benefits patients.
0: Now, I feel like we've covered a lot of great benefits and you know outcomes that this type of approach can have. But I know with every new initiative, there is potential challenges that face it. So, what are the challenges that you've seen uh, come with this new type of you know evidence generation planning?
1: Yeah, look, there's there's no perfect uh, there's no perfect solution, and um, you know, a lot of best practices are, are not that easy, um, are not that easy to accomplish otherwise, you know, everybody would, uh, everybody would be doing them already. Um, I think if you're, um, you know, I've seen this, um, you know, over my career repeatedly, you know, large global pharmaceutical companies with, you know, strong, Functional structures, or maybe geography-oriented structures, rather than sort of multidisciplinary TA structures, you know, find it find it harder harder to do this. Um, and there are organisational governance, process, decision-making boundaries, you know, in the way, um, which which need to be overcome. Uh, and sometimes, you yeah, know, that's where. That's where having an expert consultancy, you know, coming in can can help because you have that that honest broker, you know, um, helping to facilitate decision making across these these functional barriers, break down those barriers, ensure that everybody who ought to be invited to the table, you know, is is at the table to get a, a truly integrated evidence generation uh, plan up and running. Um, I think the second one that they can be a little bit related to that again is around, you know, not just the organizational, um, you know, functional boundaries, reporting lines and so on, getting, getting all the decision makers to agree. Um, you know, sometimes it's about understanding what the processes are, you know, across that, you know, protocol approval committees, other, other sort of cross-functional governance bodies, um, making sure that you understand how those work, um, making sure that you do the, um, you know, do the work outside the meeting, you don't just, you know, rock up in the meeting for, for, with, with an ask, um, but that, you know, by, by engaging um, representatives of those functions in an integrated evidence generation planning workshop and then sending them back out to advocate within their own teams with their with their peers and superiors, you know, you can make those those cross-functional processes work really, really very, very smoothly at the end of the day. Um, but if you if you don't understand them, you try to, you know, sort of fight against them rather rather than work with them, um, then you know that that can be a that can be a barrier to this as well. I think there's also a certain amount frequently of sort of entrenched um feelings of ownership and, and, and decision making um and where um some executives have felt oh, you know I get to make a decision about this um, that can be you know, another another sort of behaviour that needs to be needs to be broken down. And then and then I think in you know in those instances is the classic what's in it what's in it for me, you know, um, kind of diplomacy that uh, that has to be done. Um no no one likes to sort of lose lose power but if that so they think they, you know, they have or they're d used to wielding. But I think if you can if you can make it clear to them you know, we just talked about you know how do, how do patients benefit? You know, pretty much everyone I've ever met in this in this industry over 20 years is trying to is trying to benefit patients. You know you can make that argument to them as to as to why they should you know uh, share their decision making power in a cross functional integrated evidence generation planning process. Um, and also you know talk to them about well you know how are you incentivized? What are you, what are your objectives? You know, this comes back to one of the organizational boundaries I talked about. Earlier, you know, if so I am function X I'm entirely incentivized by regulatory approval, or, or you know, no, no one's uh, you know, incentivised by, by just one thing normally. But you know, perhaps um, slightly complicate it and make it real. So regulatory approval, you know, at the at the lowest possible spend, well, anything that you're asking me to put in the trial and approve and spend money on, that isn't going to help me get regulatory approval. I'm sort of incentivized to, to not want. But if you can create those, um, cross-functional incentives, um, and, you know, make, get everyone bought into, you know, look, it's, it's not just regulatory approval of this product, but it's reimbursement of this product and it's uptake of this product. Okay, what if I have multiple incentives and they're shared across multiple functions, then, you know, we're, none, none of us are going to get a bonus, you know, making it, making it purely capitalist in that way. None of us are going to get our bonus unless all of us, you know, meet those objectives. Um, so somewhat changing sometimes how uh, not not just not just organisational lines are drawn, but how you know goals and objectives are assigned and making sure there's a lot of sharing around around goals and objectives and, and how they're rewarded. You know, that incentivizes the kind of Um, collaborative, co-creative behavior that is essential to making an integrated and generation approach work, in my experience.
0: Well, this has been a wonderful and a very thought-provoking conversation. So thank you so much for that, Gavin. And I want to give you the floor for the last few minutes just to share some things that you may have wanted to share that we haven't been able to touch upon. So the floor is yours.
1: Well, yeah i mean I, I think i think we've we've thanks to your your question and we've laid out um you know what why it's important where where it goes wrong if you if you if you don't do it and 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 some of the things you need to you need to think about to uh to to get it done properly i guess you know what one other thought is you know there is technology out there as well to enable this process um to create um you know not just sort of facilitate workshops and and, and capture decisions but then to keep you know, for example, a, um, you know, an ever evolving value story or set of value messages and the related, um, value evidence that's either been generated or, or, or the set of activities that is in process of generating that evidence, you know, and those activities are, you know, caterpillars until they, until they complete and become the beautiful butterfly of evidence that you, that you need, uh, and can show to the world and, and, and be proud of. So, um, I would definitely, you know, as well as, you know, the, the upfront sort of workshop cross-functionally, getting everybody in the room initially to set the plan, um, you know, use technology to enable maintenance and execution of that plan. Again, keeping it, keeping it, um, you know, live, uh, and, and accessible, um, to, to, to everybody involved. So there's that, that single source of truth. Uh, you're not scrabbling around in, you know, hard drives and, you know, Home office bookshelves for oh, where did I write that down or who wrote that down or what was the latest version of X, you know, is there is there in the system. Um and then, you know, obviously, you know, closing the loop at the back end, you know, every every function brought in there, stakeholder decision maker and customer insights at the beginning. Um and let's let's keep all that in mind, you know, and loop back to that when we've got the evidence and when we're when we're communicating it out at the at the back end. Um so, yeah that's i guess that's how i'd summarize it and um, you know i hope that's um i hope it's been interesting for you and uh and and you know useful useful insights for for any listeners who are you know embarking on an evidence generation journey you know in the in the near future so uh i'd leave you with you know further further reading by the way um there's a great great article on this in um Journal of Comparative Effectiveness Research from back in 2017, good uh, a good client of mine, uh, Skip Olton of Novartis, uh, you know, lays out in, in writing, you know, a, a fair amount and, and a few other things uh, beyond what I've been talking about today. So um, you know, do check out that um, Olson paper from, from 2017 in the Journal of Comparative Effectiveness Research. It's, uh, it's a good, I think, nicely complements what we uh, what we've talked about here today. But, uh, thanks very much, Adam.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review for our podcast if you enjoyed this content. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Take care.